I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. This is Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. Very excited to bring you another guest today. Uh, Bob Sherlock and I have been chatting here for a few minutes, getting to know one another. If you guys take a look back at the very first edition of this podcast, I interviewed Steve Fallick. Uh, Bob and Steve know one another, and Steve was kind enough to introduce uh, me to Bob. Thanks, Steve. Um, Bob, can you... Uh, Just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to the audience here. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. And, uh, and, you know, if you want to connect back to Steve, that would be great, too. Yeah, gladly. Um, Okay, so I'm the president of MarketWorks, um, and it's W-E-R-K-S, in case you want to look on the the web. Um, I... I came to be uh, to consulting, uh, being a service provider after a corporate career and entrepreneurial uh, stint as well. I um, joined GE right out of business school, um, worked in uh, four of GE's operating businesses um, in marketing management and sales management roles. Um, also did a uh, one-year stint on GE's corporate staff as an internal marketing consultant. Um, Steve Fallick and I worked together um, out on the West Coast where he ran uh, operations um, on uh, uh, a host of branches, and I was his sales management uh, counterpart, Um, so we we were uh, kind of joined at the hip um, and been friends ever ever since. Um, After uh, GE, I went to uh, another public company as a VP of marketing. Uh, Following that, I... um, Started, ran a, a distribution logistics company, and uh, and then founded MarketWorks. And um, what I focus on doing is what I think are, are three really important um, things that um, every company needs to to do in order to generate profitable growth. One is to figure out which markets, um, you know, help companies figure out which markets they ought to be playing in and how they can stand out in that market. Um, how they can communicate um, the value, the special value that they bring such that customers want to buy from them and want to buy from them even if they're priced higher. Um, Then I also work with companies on their pricing so that they can, um, you know, the whole point of being special to your customers, which every company should want to do, is that customers will be willing to pay you a little bit more for it and uh, pricing should be managed uh, uh, accordingly. Um, So, how did, I, did that give you enough of a uh, an intro? I think that's beautiful. Okay. So when you – oh, another thing I should add here, Bob, and I, I, I failed to mention this. I think this is the first time I failed to mention this. I don't typically do any editing here. So okay. 
Um, once we kind of dive in as we have, we'll, we'll just kind of let the tape roll. And frankly, even for my guests, as they might know, my, my audio editing skills would not allow me to do the editing. So <laughs> okay. we just keep it as simple as humanly possible. Um, so, um, that's a great introduction. And I think one of the things, one of the, the topics I was hoping we could cover is kind of encapsulated, encapsulates, uh, the, the second two of those focus areas. Um, so you may break this out a little bit differently than, than I would ask the question. But um, from a marketing perspective, you know, I don't necessarily personally, and this is probably uh, an error in, in judgment on my side, I don't think of marketing as being able to improve my profitability all that much. But it sounds like from communicating the special value we bring and then tying in a pricing strategy, um, that's exactly what you're saying. So. Uh, yeah. Walk us through that a little bit. Help me understand that. Well, if you if you think about um, the ways that you can improve your company's uh, profitability and you know return ultimately back to your shareholders or, or to yourself as a as a shareholder, um, you you would be continually looking for things that you can do to um, increase your unit volume. You know, and that one's pretty. You know, that one's pretty common. Everybody's always mm -hmm. focused on, gee, I want to sell more. Um, but additionally, there are things that you can and should be doing that would increase your selling price for a given product or for a service. And and I can come back to that one a little bit. Um, and the other thing that you can do uh, that'll improve profitability is to uh, rich in the mix of products and services that your business sells. Um, and uh, it, you can apply marketing or a blend of marketing and sales thinking and, and strategic thinking and, and implementation of those intelligent thoughts um, to affect all of those outcomes. And if you do that, um, you're going to have a major uh, uh, impact on you know, how many people want to buy and the prices at, at which they will buy. Interesting. So flesh that out a little bit more, if you would. The uh, As you think about what kind of things do you do from a marketing perspective that that help us, you know, increase that selling price for a given service? I mean, sure. Everybody's well, let, looking at the volume. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take it back. I mean, I, I think of marketing as having a strategic component and then maybe more of a tactical or applied component. Mm -hmm. And and let me dwell on the strategic for just a minute. Now, okay. And I'll actually reference um, at, at, uh, at marketworks.com slash blog. Um, you, you can see some blog posts. I did one in June of 2014 um, called Reimagining Reality. Um, and... In, in that blog, I talk about a tool that I use called the Sweet Spot Triad. And the triad is that there, there are decisions that you have to make about who you serve. You know, what are the characteristics of your customers and how do you segment them? Um, so that's, a, that's one, one key decision in the triad. The second key decision in the triad is, is what are the value bundles that you provide? And the value bundle 
I, I use that. I could call it products and services, but I really think it's useful to think about that as a value bundle and to not get focused on product features, benefits, et cetera, but instead be always thinking about how are we creating value for our customer. Uh, so that's the second pole of the triad. And then if you you know, go down and, and, and complete the, uh, the, the, the triangle, and you could actually sketch this out, um, how you deliver the value bundle and how you monetize it, um, that's the other set of decisions uh, that, that you make strategically. So now let's go through, let, let's, let's make that applicable now because that's the, the, the framework. Mm-hmm. And Jason, as I mentioned, I, I, I love frameworks to organize our thinking. I think it's really useful. So let's think about who you serve. Um, I think any of us could picture, no matter what our market is, that there, it's going to it's going to have human beings of various, um, you know, behavioral characteristics. And one of the behavioral characteristics is that you have differing uh, preferences for low price. Uh, you know, above all else, uh, as opposed to high service or high product quality above all else. So, um, you know, let, let's take something that we can all relate to, like a, a, an automobile. I mean, um, some people, hey, no matter what the price, they want they want their car to be fast, good looking, sexy, whatever. And it's like, hey, and if you have to pay more for it or, you know, a prestigious brand, if you have to pay more for it, great, you know, then then that's the way they're going to go. Conversely, there's other people that, you know, it's just, hey, a car is a necessary evil. You know, my ego is not tied up in it. It's just transportation. I want to spend as little as possible. So you can see there's kind of a continuum there. Well, if you... um, if you're looking at the most attractive set of customers in the marketplace, you know, can you can you identify a basis where you're going to disproportionately go after the less price sensitive people? Now, I don't mean to say that price is never going to be important, but you want to go after a disproportionate number of prospective customers where price is number three or four or five or six or ten on their priority list, not number one. And so um, who you serve, who you choose to go after as a company, and then even you know if you're if you're selling with you know within a a, a package, you can kind of rank your um, you know your prospects on how um, how oriented they are to getting maximum benefit from you, as opposed to trying to buy at minimum price. And make sure that you're investing. You know, over time, you want to invest more time with the people that want the best that your company can bring them as opposed to, you know, and, and spend less time with the people that, you know, are beating the hell out of you for a lower price. Right. Um, so that's how I, I would apply that. And then in terms of the value bundle that you provide, again, as we look at it strategically, um, I find it really useful to think about every marketplace as being underserved in some way or another. Um, and, if you can figure out a way to bring something special to the to the marketplace, you really put yourself in a very strong position. Um, uh, you know, I'd imagine some of uh, some of our listeners uh, are uh, are runners. Um, well, it was a, a guy in uh, in Chicago who 
ran quite a bit, did all kinds of, uh, of 10K, uh, 5K races and so on, and started to feel that, you know, hey, I can't be the only one that's getting a little bored with the same old 5K. So this guy, Joe Reynolds, said, I know, I'm going to do a race that is going to be, it, it's it's a scavenger hunt, and we'll do another one that's a an obstacle course race. And um, so he started a company that has, has really thrived called Red Frog Events. They're headquartered in Chicago, um, and their flagship ev- uh, event is called the Warrior Dash. Who knows? Maybe maybe some of our listeners uh, have, have run it or, or have friends that have. Um, they call it three miles of pure hell. You're crawling through mud pits and jumping over flames and climbing over walls and all that sort of stuff. Well, They've built a tremendous, I mean, they went from zero to, I think, 40 or 50 million within six years. Um, they differentiated a run. You know, they, they made it, they turned it into not a run, but into an entertainment event, um, you know, where people are just dying to sign up. They're happily paying twice as much uh, to, to participate in the race as you would typically do, a, you know, a, a regular 5K and their family and friends and coworkers come out to watch and buy beer and listen to music and and everything else and and so they they basically looked at the market as underserved and figured out a way to differentiate it well in 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 maybe not that dramatic a fashion any of us can look at you know what in what way is our customer base underserved and what we can do what can we do that brings them something special so those would be two ways that I think you could, at the strategic end, um, you know, put yourself in a better position to grow and grow profitably. Yeah, I like this this second idea you're talking about a lot. Of, you know, all markets are underserved. Um, it's a matter of identifying that gap. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, seems to be the rub. I mean, that seems to be the the trick is identifying well, one of right. I mean, you got to yeah. identify the gap, and then you've got to execute against that. And execution well, is, right. is yeah. always a big piece of it. But sure. do you have do you have ways that you go about helping folks identify that gap? Yeah, and 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 basically, um, there are things that that you don't know that you really, really want to understand um, and in, w- in what way somebody is, is feeling underserved by how things are today or what would they get excited about. Those are things that you can find out. Um, market research, um, you know, professional market researchers uh, go out and talk to uh, customers. So, I mean, if your firm has the resources, getting a professional market research crew to go do interviews and find out, you know, what's not so good with how things are today, and then, you know, perhaps test some creative ideas with them, um, that's one route to go. If your company doesn't have that kind of resources, um, you might still be able to, you know, yourself or or maybe through a barter arrangement with a, uh, you know, with with a with a solo service provider in the area. Um, get some help in, in, in conducting those research interviews and you develop hypotheses for how you can make people better off and you can test those 
hypotheses. Uh, you can test those new concepts in market research, or you can do you know little controlled experiments and say, um, so let's say uh, you know I, I know um, uh, some of of uh, your listeners, Jason, are um, in in service businesses. Mm -hmm. It might be that you could you know you came up with a concept for an educational program that you're going to do uh, a special twist on uh, you know you'll you'll do a, a webinar or a uh, you know a, a lunch and learn event or something like that that the that you want to try. You could set up an experiment and say, all right, let's let's do this. And, you know, we'll in, invite a bunch of people, we'll work hard to get people there, and we'll give them some value. We'll also ask them when they're done. We'll do some follow-up and, and, and see what we can learn from it. So you do a little experiment, um, get some feedback on, uh, on, on how it went, what they liked, what they didn't like, and then you maybe tweak some things the next time. So you, you, can, you can, again, test your hypothesis, not mm -hmm. just through market research, but also through actually trying it in a limited way. And the same thing with, you know, if, if you want to test a new approach to pricing or something, you can test that in a limited way. You don't have to go all in. In fact, it's usually better to not go all in, um, you know, test things out. Yeah, I, uh, I frequently try to take the ideas in a, a lean startup kind of methodology and, yes. And that and apply those to many things I've done across my career. Um, it sounds like that's are you familiar with that concept? I, I am. And I, I think the, the lean startup. The, see, there's there's another beautiful way of, of taking a bunch of things that a lot of people understood or maybe understood intuitively and just captured them in a beautiful, simple framework that to me is 80 or 90 percent right on. And, you know, it, it's it's a terrific thing. If you if you employ that philosophy, um, it, it's it's just a really great way to get started. And then you can fine tune later. Right. I mean, that's what it's all about. An, an airplane takes off. And for uh, is it like one percent of the time it's on course? Yeah. And the other 99 percent, it's it's course correcting. Yeah, I think that's about right. And uh, I, I'm i not a pilot, but a couple of times in my life, I've had the chance to uh, take the controls uh, once up in the air. And, and the last time I flew, it was on a particularly challenging uh, weather day and uh, hot, muggy summer weather. And uh, and I was 99.9% of the time course correcting. <laughs> so uh, that, that really resonates with me, that metaphor. Yeah. But you weren't flying me from St. Louis to Chicago, so we were yeah. Okay so that. so you're 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 okay. Yeah, it was <laughs> just right. just 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 me and my buddy. So I, right. I at the time I was thinking about you know going going and working to get my pilot's license, uh, and eventually I decided that you know that was that was probably not not smart. One of my favorite Clint Eastwood quotes is, "A man's got to know his limitations." <laughs> That's great. Well, it you know. It, even that little story you just described, you're taking these, uh, you're taking these small steps towards a pilot license. Uh, you you are fortunate enough to have friends that can get you up in the air and, and put you behind in the cockpit. Yeah. And you're using those as tests to see is this something I really want to invest all the time and money and effort that it takes to to do this. Yeah. Do I enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And and I came to the conclusion, no, this does not make sense. There's there's other things that you know that. 
that I think I could be good at, and uh, I, I'm not sure that's really one of them. So, uh, or or even if I became good at, it, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much as I had thought. So, yeah, it, it's these little uh, low low risk trials are uh, are just a great recipe for um, increasing the percentage of your decisions that go well. So if we look back at your framework real quick, we've, we've talked through, I just kind of want to make sure that we've hit all these pieces here. Who yeah. are we serving? Um, what kind of different, you know, are these, bundles, are these yeah. the folks that they, that, that need our services and, and their values align with ours? Um, yeah. and you know, value in a different context there than, than monetary values. Right. Um, so that's the first piece. Yeah, uh, and then and, we've, you've got the services right. and and the value bundles, as you called it, and I love that phrase. I would I would love for you to extrapolate a little bit about how you how you coin that terminology, if you can. Yeah, I I don't even know if I coined it or if or or if I picked that up through osmosis from. So I'm not conscious of of having seen that um, from somebody else. I, but I, I, there's a good chance that I owe somebody uh, credit for that, if I could think who it Fair was. Enough. But but um, but but with that that value bundle, um, you know, there's an, an important maybe um, elaboration on that is if you are in an organization where you have a product line or you have a services lineup um, and maybe there's different price points associated with those value bundles take a look at whether you could structure that differently you know it it's not uncommon that the market shifts that you know customer preferences might shift uh, might shift and um, and, and and create a real opportunity for a different value bundle. Um, there's a uh, um, an example I was told about not long ago where um, a classic merchandising philosophy of good, better, and best was used to put together a you know define a product line, and it worked okay for a while. And of course, that was a classic at Sears and some of the other hard lines uh, uh, retailers. Um, but what what happened over time in this particular category, which had a technology element to it, uh, consumer electronics type uh, element to it, is that the technological differentiation between or the degree of difference between good and best shrunk and it became a really useless counterproductive way of looking at it because uh, you know basically it would have been just better to have it would have been a, a good decision to have in, in a number of spots in the product line only the best because the best was you know trivially more expensive than uh, than the right. better and the good and and the organization was tying up all kinds of resources and you know and having inventory of all three and it just made no sense. Uh, right. So that would be an instance of saying you know hey let's let's look at the value bundles and the pricing that gets associated with that and see if maybe there's an opportunity to do something a little bit different. Yeah. So another area that, around value bundles that I'm curious about is. You know, I come from a services background, so I think in term in those terms. Yeah. I, I believe I read on your your website that you guys uh, you serve the the B two B and probably some service firms, and you also work with a lot of manufacturers. Yes, that's true. So, 
So if I'm sitting in the manufacturing world and I never have, so I'm, you know, going to expose a lot of ignorance. Um, this idea of value bundles on one hand, if I'm thinking about parts and pieces and bundling those into a product, makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. On the other hand, you know, a product's a product. Um, how, is that a value bundle, bundle or is that my product? <laughs> ah, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, first of all, there's certainly value in that assembled, fully ready-to-go product, but especially in a B2B context and, and very often in a, in a business-to-consumer context as well, there are services that you wrap around or can wrap around the product to create the full value bundle. Um, so, for instance, um, uh, if, if any of us is buying something for the first time that we are unfamiliar with, there's tremendous value in somebody recognizing the fact that we're buying something complicated that we wouldn't normally that we wouldn't normally buy. Um, so again, let's let, let's have it in a in a B two B you know context. Let's say that um, uh, you know somebody is working in, in the in the IT organization um, of a of a major company does pretty well, gets promoted a couple of times, and now is the head of IT for, you know, for the whole organization. Well, if you, if you came up through the IT organization as maybe, let's say, a software expert, and now you're in charge of hardware purchases, and, and you've never had to buy, a, you know, outsourced, uh, you know, cloud services at the enterprise level, mm-hmm. you would place a lot of value, not just in, you know, buying the right, I mean, just even deciding, hey, how, how do I, how do I know what my decision criteria should be? Um, you know, so that the knowledge that surrounds the product that, you know, that, that, that your consultative uh, yep. selling partners, if they're bringing you knowledge, there's great value in that. If they're bringing you other things, you know, financial uh, packages, uh, different, you know, flexible ways of, uh, of paying for it, that's part of the value bundle. So it's all the services that surround what might be a physical product that's, you know, it's a server or a piece of a server that you're going to use or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I, as you say that, we see that a lot in technology. Um, I mean, technology, in my mind, has led the way in wrapping their their hardware, software, and, and services. Yeah, I might just see it more there than, than elsewhere because I'm paying attention. Well, you know, it's it, you're right. It, it's I mean, I don't know the the uh, the IT world as well as you do, but based on what I know, that seems to be very common, and it's spread past that. I mean, my my alma mater company of GE. Um, services surrounding the products, uh, you know, that's huge. One of the reasons mm-hmm. why they're, you know, GE just sold the appliances business is it's not near, they, you, you can't make near as much money on the services as you can the services surrounding GE's aircraft engines yep. or their power plants and oil and gas uh, field equipment and so on. And to take that, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think I see the same thing happening on a B2C and even at a retail level. If you think about Best Buy and the acquisition they made of the Geek Squad several years ago, bingo. And the idea that they're gonna, you know, you're gonna buy a television, you're gonna buy a home theater, you're gonna put that up. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a that's quite a job to hang those things on the wall, and, <laughs> and you know, and 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 you don't want your you know two thousand dollar purchase crashing down and wrecking uh, you know your wife's favorite piece of furniture. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great instance, Jason. So, the we've we've talked about a little bit who buys from us. I'd like to dive into that. I think a little deeper if we can. Sure. Um, and this is probably coming from, you know, my bias towards sales. Uh, and I think about customer segmentation and who am I going to spend my time with a right. lot. I mean, every day. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about how you and I don't expect you to give away the farm here in, in you know, five minutes. I don't expect you could um, how you think about segmentation and how you kind of walk clients through identifying the proper targets of their attention? Yeah, um, gl gladly. And, and one of the things, again, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick to a business to business context and, and that'll be useful. Even, even in consumer products businesses, of course, you know, if you're a consumer products manufacturer, your, your relationship with the retailer, that's a, a business to business relationship. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's important to know is that, um, if if the decision is uh, is is big enough, has enough financial impact, or or something else that the buying organization feels at risk for, then there's going to be a buying group involved in the decision, right? So you know you you'll have people that are concerned with the technical correctness of the decision, mm -hmm. and other people will be concerned with the financial, and somebody else is kind of like, does it even work? You know, is it practical? Can we implement it, et cetera? Um, and so a piece of the segmentation thing is going to be to think of the buying group in these, uh, in these various companies. Um, and, um, and, and then the other thing that I would look at for, for segmentation is um, there's a, there's a demographic element to it that all other things being equal, bigger organizations that have a lot more cash flowing through the enterprise, all other things being equal, you know, have got more ability to pay than 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 real little ones do. Um, so there's there's a piece of uh, of that. Um, so that. That would be demographics, and then you know some industries, uh, even within an industry, maybe there's some play. You know, some players are known to be more technology oriented than others. Some might be more operationally focused. So, if you think about what would drive the buying decision of the buying group at let, let's say there's 20 companies in in an industry that you're calling on. What would change the buying behavior across those 20 companies and which ones would best ally with us? Like if, if you do emphasize, hey, we, we invest in having great 24-hour technical support. So if somebody is having you know, a, <clears throat> an IT challenge or something, um, if your firm has got an edge on that, well, then you want to say, all right, among those companies – Excuse me. What, uh, which companies do we think are going to put the most value on that? And those are the people that are going to be the best match for us. And it'd be, it, it, it's it's simple stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, I, on one level, I'm hearing uh, you could really overthink 
the segmentation of of customers there. Yes. Um, it, <laughs> I am I am prone to overthinking, so that's it's good when someone points out the areas that. Uh, yeah, I and not and thorough and thorough thinking is good, but you just I mean you you do there are a number of ways to segment by the demographics, you know, the size of uh -huh. firm, what in, industry, and then, you know, by, by, by buying behavior or psychographics or how, how they think about things. It's good to be thorough and think a number of things through, but then when you find yourself bogging down, you have right. to say, all right, I got to bring it back to some simple, which of these do I think potentially would be powerful in attracting people to come by from me and, and, and my organization, which ones do I think would be more powerful? And if you find yourself saying, I don't know, hey, that's an indication you got a little market research to do. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, as, as a sales professional, I mean, you can do a bunch too. You can, I mean, we always have some relationships that maybe they're not our friends necessarily, but there's, but there are some warmer relationships and some people that you feel like you could go and, and say, hey, I, you know, let's just go to lunch. I want to pick your brain because I'm thinking about a couple of ideas. Can I bounce a couple of things off of you? And please do me the favor of being brutally honest. If you think I'm, you know, just climbing, uh, climbing up the wrong tree, tell me that. But if you like it, tell me that, too. And, you know, and, and so you can test some of these uh, these things with, you know, real life uh, customers or prospects, or again, you can get, you know, professional market research to, to go access a whole bunch more people. Um, but it, it is pretty simple stuff. Like, you know, let me have, let me have the hypotheses for who's going to most value what it is that we bring them. Um, and then let's find a way to test that hypothesis, uh, ahead of time, you know, before we totally commit a lot of money and time to it. Yes. And that's the, that's the piece I was I was waiting for you to come back to because I I knew that you would. It now it's time to run one of those small tests and yeah. see what happens. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, con controlled experiments. Uh, you know that that's that's how we learn. Uh, yeah. You know that George Gilder, who's a economist and author of I don't know how many books. Uh, he he's not an easy read, but he's a brilliant thinker. And and uh, I th in, in a, a book that he came out with within the last uh, year or two, I think uh, maybe it was Knowledge and Capitalism or something like that. Um, he, he he used the phrase um, "All knowledge is surprise." And that is, you, you, you want to go find the surprising knowledge. It's, hey, what do I not know that if I knew it would be really valuable and I could, you know, properly allocate my time to, you know, to the highest payoff? Um, and the way you go find that surprising information is, you know, either the little experiments or, or through market research. Wonderful. So, if Bob, we're about out of time. I have one more question. And if you're, you'll be kind enough to, to stay with us a little longer, it'd be wonderful. Yeah. Um, just, you know, this podcast is really about, uh, you know, it's about the hustlers, the people that grind and, and do great work every day. Um, typically in my mind and the folks that I've talked to, they're not sitting atop large organizations or even small ones yet. Most of the time, um, right. they're in the middle and they're working on that great career. Uh, and you and I may know them someday, but we probably don't yet. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what piece of advice might you give these folks um, 
to, I don't just, I don't know the, the one piece of advice that you look back on and say, I'm glad I knew that. Um, um, I probably implicitly knew this for, uh, um, for a while, but, um, there's a gentleman named Clyde Lowstutter who I got to know, oh gosh, probably 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and he uses the term endorsement, that that you want to in de- develop endorsement, which is, uh, you know, that, that others in the organization look to you and say, yeah, good guy or good gal, you know, that, that – that um, you develop endorsement through, you know, having credibility through the decisions you make and and uh, and the work that you do, um, but also, you know, good interpersonal relationships and all that stuff. Um, endorsement is really really important, and um, it's not my line of work to tell people how to, you know, get along, uh, you know, better from an interpersonal standpoint or, or develop better influence skills and so on. I, 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 I might know a little about that, but, um, but the piece that relates the piece of, of gaining endorsement that does relate to everything we've been talking about is, is this business about figure out, I mean, making good decisions um, the better your information is, the better your decisions can be, and therefore the more endorsement you'll attract over time. And the key to making good decisions is to make sure you're getting as much knowledge, especially about things that are difficult to know, as possible. I mean, you can certainly ask others within the organization, but sometimes people have got opinion i mean everybody's got an opinion but it may not really be rooted in reality so that's why this idea of of the uh, you know develop the hypotheses and and test them through market research or through through these little experiments that helps you develop the profound knowledge so that you and your and, and your teammates can make good decisions and that builds endorsement um so that's the thing that maybe I wish I had had known in a more crystallized way sooner in my career than, uh, than I did. So maybe that helps. I hope. Yeah, it does. You know, I've been thinking about that concept as I, uh, you know, you, you hear it all the time. Oh, that's a good guy. That's a good guy to work with. Yeah. I, you know, I, I like working with her. I'll work with her on anything. Yes, exactly. When you hear that, but I don't have a name for that. I didn't have a name for that 10 minutes ago. Right. Uh, so I'm glad to have a name for that. That's a, it's a, it's a great concept. Yeah, um, it is. I love it. Bob, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, your insights here are, are wonderful. Well, Jason, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, ho- hope, uh, I, I hope it is helpful to, uh, to you and, uh, and, the, uh, and the gang of hustlers and grinders that, uh, that you've attracted to, uh, to your learning environment. And uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. Great. One more thing. I would invite everyone, if you're open to it, Bob, to to reach out to you and, and tell you what you learn today that yeah. you're going to put into practice tomorrow. Yeah. And, right. and if somebody wanted to reach out and say, Hey, Bob, I, I like the ideas you're talking about. I'd like to learn more about market works and, and hear more about what you're doing. How, what's the best way to get you? Um, my, uh, email address is R Sherlock, R S H E R L O C K at marketworks, M-A-R-K-E-T-W-E-R-K-S.com. 
I'm also on LinkedIn. Just uh, um, go to LinkedIn and uh, and Bob Sherlock. Uh, I'm in the Chicago area. I, I think I should come up fairly high in your search. And uh, um, you know, by all means, reach out. Tell me you listen to the podcast, and uh, I, I'd welcome your comments and uh, and the chance to connect with you. Wonderful. I'll include that in the show notes so people can find it pretty easily. Okay, Thank that'd you. be great. Thanks so much, Bob. Enjoy it very much. folks thanks for listening all the way to the end hey bob is awesome please look him up yeah, find his organization uh, shoot me a note on twitter at hardway mba we'll get you guys connected the other thing i want you to be thinking about right now as you're closing up 2015 don't take your foot off the gas keep it on it's time to start thinking about 2016 though you need an attack plan not just a personal plan not just a business plan. You need a framework to think about both your business and your personal life in one framework. We've put that together uh, here at Hardway MBA. Check it out at hardwaymba.com slash 2016 plan, 2016 plan. Download that thing. Let me know your feedback again at hardwaymba.com or Jason at hardwaymba.com. Listen, guys, the show really relies on your feedback. Uh, if you have guests you think we should talk to, if you have topics you'd like to learn about, shoot me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, make it a great day. Take care now.